baseball fans to episode 21 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banish to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. And now, this week, I am excited and honored to be joined by SiriusXM host of Power Alley and the former co-host of Baseball Prospectus's podcast, Fringe Average, Mike Farron. Mike, welcome to the Banish to the Pen podcast. Ryan, it is a pleasure, as always, to speak to you, my friend. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, we are doing this interview before 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, so I want to apologize to my audience, first and foremost, for my voice, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, jumping up and joining me this morning. Well, I think it just shows a significant amount of want on your part, right? That's how we're supposed to start this, right? For a hashtag? I, I'm throwing out a want hashtag for sure. Normally it's slack, but uh, for sure I'm going with want this morning anyways. So it's good to make your acquaintance, Mike. How are things on your end? Uh, things are good. Things are good. I'm actually on my way to, to a uh, college uh, baseball doubleheader today. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at uh, executive use of work. So. Well, uh, nobody works harder in the business than Uncle Mike. So uh, thank you for joining me. That's a lie. <laughs> All right, nobody drinks beers better than Mike. How about that? <laughs> so, uh, but the reason we're having you on, besides the fact that we're such big fans of your work, is uh, it's kind of the fifth anniversary coming up of the Up and In podcast with Kevin Goldstein and Jason Parks. Uh, certainly two of your better friends, and uh, I know Jason's a great friend of yours. Uh, I'd love to just kind of start with that, uh, you know, the topic of Up and In and kind of what do you remember about that podcast? become a cult classic like you said That's a great take. Um, and the next question I would love to ask is just, what are Kevin and Jason like off air? I, I think maybe we have a little bit better feel of Jason just because he was on the net for a little longer. But 
What are those guys like, you know, if you're sitting down with them and just hanging out? Um, just, they're, there's not much difference between them. I mean, and what you heard on the podcast, I think that's the reason why it works is because they were, they're just so genuine. Um, you know, Kevin, I, I've known Kevin for, uh, more than 10 years now. Um, and, you know, he's always a guy that's just kind of like, you know, he's just kind of his own guy and he, um, you know, he's, I think he's really even in, in, in kind of the baseball circle because he's not like the other baseball guys. And you think about it, I mean, he talked about a lot. College dropout who worked in IT who, you know, started covering prospects. He thought it was kind of cool and funky and then went to work at Baseball America and then, you know, did his own thing bigger. And you know, he's a self-made man in that regard. And he's, you know, he's got a, a really you know, wide base of interest. And, and I think the best part of what makes him you know, special and unique and Jason is Jason. I mean, I really don't any other way to describe it. I mean, you know, he, he's like, like, I would say that 90% of our conversations have have nothing to do with baseball. I, I mean, this is like throughout the course of our friendship. We would know him. I mean, I wouldn't know him without a banana like Kevin. Um, but most of it is discussing film or music or, or you know, literature or you know he's incredibly well versed he's really an artist in that regard and, and so what you kind of heard is what you get in real life i mean yeah i think that's part of the reason why it was so accessible to people is that there was no put on but it, it's just it was them and you know, they were just kind of like these you know these really interesting guys that happened to have a huge interest in scouting and baseball yeah, and look at where it's taking them now. Kevin's got a major job with the Astros, and God, Parks is moving up with the, uh, you know, with the Cubs right now. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, and I think that that's, I think that's another kind of legacy of that podcast is that it, it opened the eyes to people who were kind of obsessed with baseball but didn't play at the highest of high levels, and maybe they played at a smaller college or. Maybe they didn't play in college at all, or maybe they really didn't have much experience playing in high school. Um, but they were obsessed with the fine tuned details of baseball that, that made it accessible to them to at least dream of having a job in it. And I think they kind of gave people you know, hope that that was possible. And I think they have, but a lot of people kind of following their dreams and getting their foot to the door. Yeah, that's very true. What were some of your favorite episodes? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I like the hot trap guy, obviously. I think everybody that's <laughs> probably at the top of the list for everyone, right? I mean, that, just, that guy was amazing. That was really funny. Yeah, that was, that was good. Um, I don't know. I mean, the guests were always unique. They were, they were different. You know, sometimes the political guests you know, were, were you know, giving insight that you wouldn't, certainly wouldn't get from a baseball podcast. It's tough for me to separate now a couple of years ago because I haven't, I, you know, I, one, I wasn't a point niner, and two, I, I haven't gone back and listened to it yet. But that, that's always the one that really stands out to me is the, the hot draft guy. Hot draft guy is Steve Albini, and that's just because you know, I'm from Chicago, and I have uh, much to work in the recording industry and you know, work in metal. And so they kind of know, you know Steve a little bit. I thought that episode was really fascinating. Somebody who, you know, who's spent their life or you know, at least somewhat around musicians or musicians with their family. I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, that was that was a great one too. Uh, Kevin's mom is my favorite. I mean, she could I could listen to her talk all day long. Her humor is just unbelievable. But I think that was the kind of the joy or the uh, wonderfulness of the podcast is we made or they made celebrities of his mom and the trapper. I mean, it was. I think that's kind of an interesting legacy as well. Yeah, and you know, discussing films and watching movies until like Kevin giving first date advice that could work out. <laughs> like, of all my friends to give out first date advice that haven't worked, Kevin would have been at my top of the list for Kevin. <laughs> yeah, but I think he would. That was so great. Oh, Lord. So I guess the final question I want to ask you on Up and In is just kind of what is the. From your perspective, anyways, you're in radio and do it every day. What is kind of your, what is the lasting memory in your eyes of the podcast? What what kind of five years later? Well, I mean, I think it, I, I think it helped to open up the potential for there to be a level of discourse in baseball that was not based. You know, and I think that that's one of the major criticisms of all sports broadcasts, not just baseball, but, but I'll focus on that because that's what I know. That, uh, there's a lot of discussion about how, you know, how you, there's a dumbing down effect, I think. Uh, I think some of it comes from a, uh, a lack of preparation, but I think some of it comes from this idea that, hey, you don't want to lose Joe, average listener, by talking about something that really could be over their head. But how do you know that Joe, average listener, isn't really interested in that, or Joe, average viewer, isn't really interested in that? And to me, it makes it okay for people to kind of branch out and to try and create a smarter brand of programming. And I think that's one of the growths of, of, of it that you know, it's created either, either smart, jokey stuff like the Productive Outs guys or, or you know, Suspicious sus- Family Barbecue <laughs> or influence, you know, influence guys who, who, you know, who were... Um, Broadcasts can be like, let's have Steve Burke Jr. do it again for the Diamondbacks, and and Burke doesn't doesn't dumb it down for a listener. And that's the guy that worked at the the Four Letter Network for a long time and kind of, I mean, he gets the game. I don't teach baseball, I mean, the the, the, broadcast, I just tell it. Yeah, sure. podcast of mine there's probably no banish to the pen podcast if those guys didn't do their show and 
make it so successful in the medium. I, I, I'm convinced of that. I 100% agree. And I think that there's, I, I, so there, there are stories of plenty of guys that kind of have their opportunities to realize, like, oh, these guys can do it, I can too, whether it be from, you know, more professional baseball setting or from, like you said, from podcasting. You know, there are a lot of really good baseball podcasts that are a direct descendant of, of the success of the game because people realize, hey, listen, you know, we can have fun and we can do this too. And I think that that's helped to make, you know, a, a far more entertaining climate. I'll tell you what, I mean, I, you know, listen, I listen to the Duke Balls on this kind of, I'm not walking the dog, I'll, I'll fire Briley and Ian, you know, and, and every once in a while when I'm out you know, walking around, I'll listen to your stuff. I mean, it, you know, I think it's great because it's created, you know, baseball is, I think it's so cute and an awful lot like a niche. I mean, it's the second most popular sport in the country, and it has not, it's a $9 billion industry. There's a lot of years to go around. There's a lot of eyeballs to go around to be able to consume baseball in various ways, and it's given some quality content instead of the, you know, mostly the dribble that we've seen for years and years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are 30 fan bases that are supporting 30 different blogs and 30 different teams and everything else. I'm always amazed at how many people are out there reading and watching. So, so uh, I don't know how to transition off of that, but I did want to pick your brain and talk a little bit of general baseball while I still have you on. And the place I want to start is it's just New York. Both teams, uh, I guess the Mets maybe finally are out of first place if uh, the Nats had caught them last night, but... Uh, let's start with the Yankees. I, I don't know that anybody saw uh, this hot start coming from them. Just kind of your, what are you seeing and thinking about the Yankees so far? Well, I mean, they're healthy. I think that's the biggest thing. I think that you know, at least my skepticism of, of them coming into this year wasn't based so much on on you know their age or their lack of production or anything. It's just the lack of anybody being able to stay healthy. And so far, I mean, obviously they have to get which was significant. But they, they weathered that storm pretty well, and you know, they're going to get them on Nova back at some point. And I think they probably, the losing case went to what sounds like it's four years to hell. <laughs> Certainly, that's a pitching death. But I, I think from the standpoint of you know, having those guys healthy in the lineup every day, if that continues, then they're going to score some runs. And in what's a pretty mediocre division, they're going to be in the race all year. You know, from the Mets, you know, it's, They've got a really good starting pitching, but without David Wright in the lineup, it's a fairly anemic offensive team. And the other problem is that they don't play particularly good defense, specifically on the infield. And so I wonder how many of those, those you know, great outings in their starting pitching they're going to end up wasting as a result of that. I would have loved to see them at least shore themselves up defensively. They need Wright back. That said, I think this is a team that's, you know, probably ends up in the low 80s somewhere on wins, and it's competitive all year round. And I'm a firm believer that if you get to July or get to the All-Star break, and you're you know, about or just over 500, you're a contender. Because it doesn't just take a two-month or one-month hot stretch really to get into a wild-card race. But you certainly are, are capable of adding to your roster. And, you know, we'll see whether or not New York decides to get on that road, but I think the Mets are in a position where they can do that. Because the, the, the consternation over them coming into the year, I thought was overblown, and I felt like they were going to be competitive anyway. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. I think, like you say, is there a better team to buy in throughout the major leagues right now than the Mets? I mean, they could buy bullpen. They could buy some, you know, bats for sure. And they have plenty of depth in their system. I mean, I think they feel like the key buyer maybe this this summer. Yeah, I mean, they have some premium pieces that they can move to. I mean, you know, there, there's a couple of teams that I would put ahead of them in the pecking order. In part because of their hot starts, they get what they want. And, you know, the Cubs and the Astros come to mind. That That's a good point. That's well said. But, but I also think, you know, it's a matter of, so like, we know, you know, Epstein's track record, right? But the Cubs, we know that he has a history of being aggressive. You know, Sammy Alderson is looking for the right deal, right? The perfect one. The one that fits a little bit more methodical. I think that it's kind of interesting in that is Jeff Luno because we don't know how Jeff Luno is going to act in a pennant race. We've never seen it before. So is he going to try and jump the market and have something big to be able to help them out? Or is he going to be more patient and selective and, and you're kind of like the sitters, right? Try and wait to get into the to, to, to make the decision. Because I think that they're banking a lot of wins early. I think they're playing a little bit above where their true talent level lies. Agreed. And the thing is that you've got to reinforce that with more talent since you've got those wins banked. Because I think both Seattle and the Angels are good teams. And I think that they're, you know, if I'm looking at that division, I'm still going, okay, well, I'm chasing the Angels and the Mariners. And the Angels are what came up on Seattle. So I'm chasing the Angels so much as I'm not chasing the Astros, even though the Astros have a little bit of a cushion on that division. So uh, let me put you on the spot then. Who do they go buy, and who do you, uh, or where do you go attack in the buyer's market if you're the Astros? I have no idea. I mean, who's available? Tell me who's available. It's going to change as the summer goes on. So, I mean, Milwaukee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, so, well, but what, right. so I mean, what's their, their need is starting pitching help, and it's not just you know, some dude. It's got to be a dude. Somebody who can, you know, can anchor a rotation, and there just aren't that many guys available. I mean, yeah, it's not Cole Hamilton to waiting his their trade clause to go to Houston. I don't know. I mean, they've got the team that ends up, you know, well, they certainly have the depth of talent, but I think that they could make a deal in that regard. Um, you know, is it, is it, does um, somebody fall out of the race that's unexpected that has a starting pitcher that's available that you know, feel you know, like can be in that, that, be that guy? Um, so is there something you can do to get creative with a team like like um, like San Diego, you know, to get one of their pitchers and help them upgrade defensively? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, the I, problem is, is that it's still way too early to try and tell on any of this. The only guy that you know is available from a, a, a really good starting pitcher standpoint is Cole Hamels. And other than that, you know, who knows? Could they, could they, could Atlanta energy like kids of moving Julio Tehran if you're going to do the right package? I don't know. That's a great point. I, I was thinking Garza, if he gets, starts pitching a little better, he could be a fit. He's got a couple more years on that deal. He's still kind of in his prime-ish. You know, that could be a fit, too. He's not a guy. I mean, he's a guy. He's not the guy, for sure. Yeah, they have a lot of good guys. You know? I mean, they, they, yeah. Dallas I mean, Keiko's really pretty good. Colin McHugh's pitched very well for them. The Scott Feldman's going to eat a ton of hitting. True. So they've got, they need some help, really, at Surely at the top of the rotation, and, and Garza, I like Garza, but he's not the consistent yeah. guy that you're necessarily looking for start to start, I think, if you're going to make a big deal. I mean, I tend to think, go big or go home if you're going to do this. And that's a great point. The one thing that they 
kind of lack in their system is that true ace. Like, I think a belt's going to be fine, but I don't look at them and say, uh, even from a step standpoint, that's a guy that's going to be a walk-down number one front of the rotation starter. I don't think that's what the ceiling is. You know, Vasquez has, has the stuff to be a real impact starter, but he can't stay healthy. I think he just made his first start of the year. Right. So, you know, they've got some guys in their system that are interesting from a pitching standpoint. And McCullers coming up on Monday, I think it's fascinating. And that's a guy that had an ERA of, what, four-something, right? In ball last year, five. Yeah. Um, so he's taking a huge step forward. I think there were a lot of people who thought he was a reliever coming out of those drafts. Eventually, but you know, if he can stay in the rotation, I don't know that he's the top of the rotation guy either. But they you know they have these guys that are interesting, but that can, that can be good pitchers and in relatively short order. But they're not the guys that you want to really anchor a rotation yet. And that's that's what I mean. That's what I'm looking for by them is I'm looking for that top foot at the front guy. Yeah, they've got a bunch of bass players. They need a lead singer. Is what they need. Maybe Cueto. That uh, might be a That's effect. a great point. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think that the Reds are going to move Cueto, though, because I don't think the Reds are ever going to be far enough out of it. I the Reds are better than people give them credit for. I think they're about 500 right now. And they've been playing better baseball. Be yeah, I mean, I just don't think that it's in Walt Cockety or, or Bob Castellini's M.O. to really tear it up, you know, to move Johnny Cueto if they're within spitting distance of the playoff spot. Well, so, I mean, it's, if they, they tank then yeah, maybe, but I, I don't... It's pretty good offensively. I think they probably stick around at least till you know, at least till the end of July, which is when you have to make the decision. Remember, they were five hours of the All-Star break last year, and then they collapsed. There was the injuries in the offense that really came to me. Now, if you get to the second half, if you get to that point, and you fall apart, then maybe Cueto's available. But I don't I don't see them being a team that, that as of right now, is going, yeah, well, we're definitely going to move Johnny Cueto from July. Well, and with the new rules now, where you, where you wouldn't be able to get a draft pick... You know, it might be tough for them to get a package better than what they would get at the end of the year just offering them arbitration. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you can still get more because I think there's going to be enough competition for that guy. You'll still get an impactful player back or impactful players. That, that to me, isn't an issue for them. It's, it's, I, I think, you know, when you're only getting one draft pick back per guy and it's somewhere in the mid you know, twenties. Yeah, that's there or high twenties. I mean, it's not it's not bad value, but it's not like the case when you were trading for guys in the middle of the season and then slapping a you know, arbitration on them, having to be a tight day, and you were getting two picks. That to me is a big difference. That's very, and that is a terrific <laughs> point. So, uh, before I let you go, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about baseball and uh, the area, just uh, the Nationals and the Orioles, real quick. What are you seeing? From both, kind of from both. Obviously, the Nationals are hot, but and uh, the Orioles are struggling a little bit. I think Bryce Harper's got a chance to be a pretty good player. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. Um, I hope that limb's sturdy. I hope it's sturdy. Okay. <laughs> I know it's it's um, <laughs> um it's been fun to watch the, the match. Right? I mean, you forget how young he is sometimes. And he, boy, is he, I mean, he's been dynamite. Yeah, I think, I mean, the Fister injury, I'm interested to see how significant that is. I mean, he's missed time with forearm stuff before, so I think you're overly concerned about it, but you're concerned about it because you lost a starter. And you know, the thing is, is that they're starting to play better, and they're not all the way back to full health yet. So I'm not really worried about them. Baltimore, I don't get, because the Baltimore, you know, the thing that, that's been the hallmark of Orioles, these Orioles teams the last three years has been kind of their attention to detail. The way the players have played have been, you know, th- these are guys that have taken like 
never taken a pitch off. You, know, you hear that a lot. Exactly. And there have been more mental, physical mistakes. And I know injuries have something to do with it. You know, losing Hardy for most of the first month and not trying to get him back into shape. And uh, losing clarity a couple of different times and scope being out. You know, all those things have, have impacted them. But there are just more mistakes being made on that roster than I think they're used to seeing. And certainly I think Buck is probably happy with. But I, I think it's, you know, I still think it's a, a good team. And I think that division's going to be muddled enough that they'll stay in the race. But I just haven't liked the look of it so far. It hasn't. The only thing that's gone right for them is Ubaldo Jimenez, who's been <laughs> terrific. That's true. I mean, the word that comes to me is sloppy with the Orioles right now. It just seems like they're making a lot of mistakes, and the mistakes they make, like you say, are they always seem to bite them in the ass. Yeah, and that, I mean, that tends to be what happens. I mean, especially it's when you're so, you know, like when, you're, when you're pretty evenly matched, if you start giving other teams more opportunities, they're going to beat you. You know, it's the, you, can't give, you can't give away house. You, know, you, you might be able to do it to a bad team, but if you start doing it to teams that are as good or better than you, you're in big trouble. And that's one of the reasons why the Orioles have had success is because they then give away opportunities to other teams. Yeah, that's uh, well said. Well said, Mike. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you any longer. I, I know you're probably sitting at the stadium right now, so uh, I want to give you a spot here uh, for your plugs where people can find your work, where they can find you on social media. And uh, if you want to give Jason Parks a zinger, that would be fine, too. Uh, no, I'll be, uh, hey, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Mike Farron, SXM. You can find me on MLB Network Radio, um, and, um, uh, with the guys from Perfect Game, too, doing college baseball, uh, on our, uh, College Sports Nation show, so. That show's terrific on Monday nights. That's one of my most listens every week, so, uh, I, 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 I love it. I really, I really enjoy college baseball. It's fun. It's really, really great. And, uh, what are you thinking about Maryland? Have you seen them at all? Yeah, I did. I, I think they're in trouble now. I mean, as we record this, they dropped, just dropped the first two games of a series in Northwestern, and their RBI has been falling. I like that team. I like Mike Schwarner a lot, who's going to be yeah. a first-rounder in the six-year draft, I think. And I, I love that third baseman, Jose Quas. I think he can – I'm kind of interested to see where he goes in the draft this year because he can hit, and he can, he's got a great arm. He's a really good third baseman. Uh, but – I, you know, it's been kind of disappointing to me. I mean, I saw them. I was there the weekend that they had swept by Indiana, and I thought that was more about Indiana starting to get hot at the right time. And they have. I mean, they're. they're I think they right. just swept seriously by Ohio State. Um, and and it's, just, it's funny, right? We're talking about Big Ten baseball like it matters. It actually does. I mean, this is like a five or six bid league this year. Um, the Big Ten baseball is getting a lot better. Uh, but I think Maryland losing that series at Northwestern. I know it's an emotional weekend for Northwestern because Paul Stevens has been the head coach there for about 130 years and retiring. <laughs> but to go on the road and lose that one, even after winning the Ohio State series, I think they're going to be sweating it out on Selection Monday unless they perform well in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, I'm surprised. With the amount of talent they have on the team, I'm surprised that they went up and got whooped by Northwestern twice. I mean, that, that was surprising to me. Agreed. And I'm a Brandon Lau. You were talking about his potential host site, you know? Yeah, I'm a Brandon Lau guy. I swear, I love him. Mm -hmm. I love. I have a man crush on him. He's my cheese ball for this draft for sure. I love him. Yeah, he's a human. Kevin Marchier, their catcher. I mean, they're going to end up with a bunch of guys taken. So and Robinson and Robinson probably goes ahead of all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate you joining me on a uh, Saturday morning on uh, a drive up to work, so I appreciate it. And uh, I hope to see you uh, for a couple of beers here sometime in the uh, very near future. 
Sounds good. I'm going to let you pop a couple Advil. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Good, good luck today. Thanks, man. And that was episode 21 of the Banish to the Pen podcast with special celebrity guest Sirius XM's Mike Farron. Uh, I want to thank him particularly for joining me on a Saturday morning very early and uh, clearing some time for us and reminiscing a little bit about the Up and End podcast. I think we all miss it. I think he made some great points, uh, particularly from his point of view as a broadcaster. So thank you, Mike. Also, I would like to quickly thank the writers, editors, contributors, technical staff, everybody involved at Banish to the Pen. We've been rolling now, uh, goodness, about six months, and we're doing a very good product. I'm very proud of the work that uh, we're doing both on the site and the podcast. So uh, thank you to everybody, and please continue to check out the work and uh, bookmark the site and go there daily. This episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatsGM.com on Twitter, reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.